Welcome. Today, we're sitting down with our distinguished guest, Jessica Jensen, Chief Marketing Officer at Indeed, where she's responsible for brand, communication, product, and acquisition marketing globally. Jessica's impressive career spans leadership roles at Apple and Yahoo, spearheading B2B marketing for Facebook, Instagram, Messenger, and other meta platforms, followed by her tenure as Chief Marketing Officer at OpenTable. Jessica began her professional journey at the Boston Consulting Group. She holds an MBA from INSEAD, a master's in international relations from UCSD, and a BA from Amherst College. Let's go for it, Jessica. Again, pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm also a mom of a 13-year-old girl. Uh, a mother Congratulations. Thank you. A mother of two Shih Tzus, uh, brother and sister. And my husband, uh, we celebrated 20 years of marriage yesterday. Whoa. So I have to give him a special shout out. Uh, he works for the Nature Conservancy. He is a certified tree hugger. Uh, and we <laughs> live uh, just south of the city of San Francisco. So it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. I love that breakdown. I would love to include those personal breakdowns. That makes it 20 times more human. Some people don't want to share those yeah, things, right? Yeah, yeah. They're like, don't talk oh, about just, my dogs. And you're like, no, oh, no, I'm I'll so just sorry. Tell you for the, no, no. For the purpose of this conversation, I, I am. I always tell people I am oppressively open and transparent. So oh, you man. can talk to me about my journey with fertility. Um, wow. Being, okay. Being a being a mom and a worker, like we we can go into any nook and cranny that you want to go into. I love that. Well, we're all human and it's tied into very much what we do at for for our work, for our passion. So very, very, thank you. Very cool for, yeah. for sharing all that. Yeah. So let's start with, for those who never heard of Indeed, uh, what does it do? Who is the average Indeed customer and what problem are you helping them solve? Yeah, so we're the largest hiring and matching platform in the world. Uh, we have 350 million job seekers who come to us every month looking for new opportunities. We have about three and a half million employer customers, also um, super global. So we operate in 60 countries um, and uh, we are we are by far the market leader in the US, UK and Canada. We are in the top two in France, Germany, Japan, and a bunch of other markets. Uh, so hugely global. Uh, our mission is to help people get jobs. It's very simple and clear. Um, we believe uh, that talent is universal, but there is not equality of opportunity. So we are very, very purposefully dedicated to helping people overcome barriers to employment. That can be race, education, background, LGBTQ status, previous incarceration, et cetera, et cetera. So we have set a goal to get 100 million people jobs by 2030. 30 million of those people will be people who face barriers to employment. So our social uh, mission is as important as our business. Um, we are owned by a Japanese holding company called Recruit. Mm. It's one of the largest companies in Japan. It's kind of like the IAC of Japan. So they own a wide variety of internet businesses. Um, they also own Glassdoor, Staffmark, 
uh, and a bunch of companies in the recruiting sector in Japan. Uh, we at Indeed, we go to market with Glassdoor, so we sell together to our clients. Um, and then we also have a division called Indeed Flex, which is for flex and gig work that we're growing uh, mm -hmm. in various places around the world. So trying to be the uh, most democratic platform for job seekers and help employers make their hiring faster, easier, uh, and help them connect to great candidates, um, where whatever their stripe of need is. Well, thank you. Beautiful overview. There's a number of things uh, that you mentioned that we definitely are going to go deeper on. Uh, before doing that, you you've led in uh, marketing in 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 a number of leading companies and. Yeah. Are, are there steps or questions that you ask yourself every time you jump into a new leadership role at, at a company? You know, I, I feel like people always hope or look for some form of playbook. You know, is there something you found yourself doing over and over again that has been effective, that has helped you? That's a, that's a great question. Let me clarify first that I always tell people I am a business strategist and a GM first who became a marketer over mm. time. So I think that that distinction is pretty important because I didn't come up through like the brand agency path or kind of some more traditional marketing paths, right? I was a strategy consultant with BCG. I ran two consumer businesses for Yahoo. I was the founder of my own startup. We can get into that if you want to. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. um, so I am really like a business person who decided that the unification of art and math in marketing was a passion area for me, but I didn't start from there. So I think the way I, to, to answer your question more mm -hmm. directly then, when I come into a new business, I am thinking about market growth, go-to-market strategy, penetration, international expansion, product development, sales and go-to-market unification, and, and their relationship to marketing, not some of the more traditional like grow the brand. I mean, I have to also grow the brand. That's critical to what I do. Mm. But I'm much more of an integrated thinker across business objectives, market growth, sales, product, marketing in conjunction. Um, I also am constantly obsessed with what I call brand formance. So I think that as many of you have probably seen in your travels around the business world, brand and performance marketing are often separated in really ineffective and dangerous ways. Uh, in some companies, they're even not on the same team um let's which get, i've always I, I actually I, I had a question regarding that and since you're mentioning it maybe let's let's get into sure. that a little bit deeper sure. what is uh maybe let's start off with for 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 those that performance marketing and brand marketing what's what's the difference and where do you believe you know that they're 
that gap. Uh, let's let's jump into that. We'll love sure, to sure, learn sure. more of it. So, so traditionally, performance marketing, or sometimes called growth marketing, is really around quantitative-driven, typically acquisition and lifecycle marketing um, that is focused on moving, you know, core metrics, customer numbers, revenue numbers, etc. Whereas brand marketing is traditionally thought of as the narrative, the message, the story that you tell in the market about what your brand stands for, what your distinct position in the market is. Um, and so- And that usually the, leads, uh, you know, performance marketing, it's exactly what you mentioned, uh, based on that quick return on investment, which I would assume leads into- Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> which would assume Ideally. leads into shorter type of, uh, of, of campaigns, whereas- brand is that longer term i think that's a good distinction i think longer that, yes. term vision uh, longer yeah. campaigns sticking to things longer um and maybe a bit more emphasis on the on the customer i think good performance marketing and good brand marketing is always focused on the customer need and how your solution or product answers that need Mm -hmm. Now, I think what you said about timelines is usually true, right? You build trust in a brand, awareness of a brand, consideration over a longer term. Um, and so you're investing over time to build that. Whereas performance marketing typically has a shorter return cycle and maybe a more linear return cycle, right? Like I spend X amount of dollars on Google search. I acquire Y customers that gives me a CAC of X, et cetera. Whereas a brand investment may, may be 5 million, 10 million, I'm, you know, it, it depends on the size of the company and the country, et cetera. But your, your return horizon and your metrics for tracking brand can be different they mm -hmm. can also be directly correlated to to revenue and other metrics in many cases but i think the the key point that i'm always trying to make is that brand reinforces performance performance reinforces brand mm. and that an incredibly tight Venn diagram. And if you're doing good brand marketing, your search, your email, your everything will perform better and vice versa. And that's why I think it's so dangerous to have those functions not in the same organization. How do you how do you make sure that it's it's they're they're talking with one another right so yeah. like you mentioned and do you normally begin with brand is brand your 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 go-to and and then everything leads from there or how, no. how, how how can they coexist in in the in the best way possible yeah well i mean i think in the startup environment most companies start with performance right and that's because you have limited resources, you have to drive growth, you have to show metrics movement quickly. That's also true in a lot of larger businesses, but a lot of smaller businesses don't even have the luxury to invest in brand, right? Mm. But, but when they do invest in brand, they will see if they are tightly aligned and if you have your core messages sorted out and your benefit statements and your proof points aligned across performance and brand, you will see movement on both fronts that is mutually reinforcing. Mm. But 
So no, I think, but back to your question, when I go into a new business, I have to look at an incredible amount of data and insights and analytics around what is your level of awareness and equity and trust and consideration as a brand? What what are the salient benefits that consumers, be they B2B or B2C, engage with and respond to in a brand setting? and in a performance setting, and then determine, okay, we've got a brand awareness problem here or opportunity. We've got a conversion challenge on some core benefits on a performance front here and allocate resources and investment based on that. So I would not say there's one playbook like you should do brand, you should do performance, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's, it's a lot more nuanced than that. And it depends on the gestation of the business and the competition. When you're dealing with a number of products, um, how how do you go about, what's your approach with prioritizing the, 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 the product, the narrative of, of whichever product it is or service, or, or is it, is it all, uh, you know, what, what, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, again, I think um, I've I've worked on a number of multi-platform, multi-brand businesses. Certainly at fa- you know Facebook when I was there. Now Meta, you know, I was overseeing B two B marketing for at the end seven platforms, uh, which I don't wish on anyone. It's incredibly <laughs> challenging. Um, now I'm working across three platforms in the U.S., six in Japan. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think again, it really starts with customer needs, right? Like at, at, when I was at Meta, it was like, okay, if you're running a small business in India, you're using WhatsApp, you are definitely not using Facebook messenger. You're using Facebook. Um, you know, what are the need states for certain customers that they, in, that they would use on WhatsApp, Facebook, et cetera, and really thinking about the customer needs and which products and services match to those needs and making our offering against those needs distinctive from the competition. Um, So, you know, it all, you know, or now like at Indeed, we have Glassdoor, which is really for employer branding Mm -hmm. and awareness in certain knowledge worker categories. We have Indeed, which is kind of the democratic marketplace of all job seeking and matching. And then we have Indeed Flex in certain markets, which is for certain need states around short term work. And so with each of our employer, I mean, we have Bob's Pizza Shop in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He just needs bus people, right? And and Mm -hmm. runners, right? Mm -hmm. But then Amazon, our, our other customer is hiring for 75 different types of roles in all these different countries and so we're we're targeting our solutions at them obviously very differently when when you when we're talking about uh brand marketing and performance marketing uh community marketing are there i mean and that's that that falls that's very similar within brand but are are there community programs or initiatives that you're you're leading right now? And uh, are there lessons learned from that? I ask this because uh, for a number of founders that already are in their series A, series B, they have that product market fit, they're in that growth stage, and um, they're trying to be the best that they can for that customer, be there for them. And they're also trying to leverage 
you know, how do you, how do you continue building that trust with, with that customer? Uh, mm-hmm. Not just about the product, mm-hmm. but about just their needs. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I think that's a great, a great point. So, uh, so one area that we're very deeply invested in is healthcare. Um, that is a long-term growth category for employers and for job seekers. Um, and you can imagine within the healthcare arena, there are many, 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 many different roles and types of institutions, et cetera. So we are not only trying to provide the best job seekers to our healthcare employers, we're trying to position ourselves as a thought leader to healthcare employers, right? Mm-hmm. So on the performance basis, it's like we have the dental hygienists, home healthcare assistants, nurses, doctor, all of the talent that you need for your jobs. And we have a group of labor market economists called the Hiring Lab where we are assessing our own internal data, external market data, government data, et cetera, to help advise companies and industry bodies and governments on trends and developments. And so for our healthcare customers, we provide a lot of very specialized insights and data to help them forecast their talent needs, think about return to office and all of the different things that are going on in the world of work. What is the impact of AI on the future of work? So it's really a combination of that, you know, what I would call brand investment around thought leadership paired with excellent performance matching and marketing across job seekers and employers. Yep. That makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Are there, are there, um, are there particular marketing? Um, I want I just want to, I want to say campaigns, but I'd love to find out like, what is one of the biggest challenges for you, uh, right now that you're facing in indeed, right? What, what, what does that look like? And are those challenges, uh, and it doesn't just have to be indeed, but are these things that are very similar and reflective to previous experiences that you had like has 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 the has the has the dynamic of of the game evolved over time and and made it so that like these are brand new challenges or it's kind of like the same challenge just Mm -hmm. masked differently Mm -hmm. that's an interesting question i mean i think we, you know, we are in a period of deep economic, social, political uh, uncertainty and upheaval. Um, you know, is the U.S. escaping recession? Yes or no? Which sectors are growing? Is AI going to decimate labor in certain sectors? The U.K. is experiencing terrible inflation and uncertainty. Japan is growing. Germany's doing very well. So I would say just the the patchwork quilt mm-hmm. of complexity and fear and uh, uncertainty, coupled with we're still going through the fallout of COVID, people are exhausted, burned out. Uh, a lot of people feel underpaid for the work they do. The return to office debate is raging. People are taking more polarized polar, pol, uh, polarized points of view on that. So I think us acting as a, an advisor to and a 
co-navigator to employers in all of these different sectors in all of these different countries is really really challenging <laughs> right it, it's to an honor yeah it's an honor and a privilege to be involved in in these incredibly important social and political issues and debates um but but it it is challenging and staying on top i mean in the united states we're in an environment where you know lgbtq discrimination is being codified into law all over the place and we have to advise employers on how to respond to and mm. hopefully counter that discrimination as just one example so i would say for me as a comms leader a strategic business advisor a marketer to try to help everybody inside indeed understand and deal with this complexity while we also advise 350 million job seekers and 3.5 million employers around the world is uh is uniquely exciting to say the least but your your question about do I like, you know, I mean, I ran marketing for open table during COVID. Okay. I've never seen a business go to zero revenue before. I have yeah. seen that. I have seen that spreadsheet. Right. And then the ramifications that fall out from that. So I feel like every job and I, w I was deeply involved in the Cambridge Analytica stuff at Facebook. So every business I go to has its own crises and challenges and really adaptability and learning how to respond proactively and calmly and humanely uh, is the muscle that I'm always trying to build um, mm. and trying to, to share with other people. So that I see as a very re repetitive cycle. Uh, I, I, I mentioned this a little and I might just be really, uh, I'm, I'm very fascinated by this, about the prioritization of things. Right. Yeah. Like, how do you how do you break down? Because for some people, they're just very talented at being able to do it. Right. Like it's it's very natural. And for most people, it, there, there are things there are steps that you can take. And I'm speaking as a founder there. Um, there's so many challenges that you just mentioned at scale, which is yeah. like crazy. It's hard to even conceive of it uh, as a founder. There's so much uncertainty. Uh, within what you're doing, your product, who, who, who likes it? You know, they say they like it, but they also say they like it. Where are you going to concentrate? Like, is it them or is it the other people, right? Like, which is a bigger market? What speaks to you more, right? Like all these questions, yeah. um, are there, are there particular, is there like a methodology or are there particular steps or things that you've come across that you're like, you know, I like to before, making a decision or before making a like a, a, on on where we're going after yeah. you know are there certain things is, uh that that you find yourself kind of following yes and i would say it's quite different depending on the stage and scale and size of the business mm. right yeah. So I have worked, I, I ran a small startup. I worked at a company called Investors Business Daily, which was like a hundred million dollar stock market newspaper at the mm -hmm. time. Um, and so what I was prioritizing and dealing with in those settings versus Facebook. And when I started at Facebook, Facebook was 4,000 people. When I left, it was 38,000 people. So pr our prioritization frameworks also changed drastically over mm -hmm. that time, right? 
Um, but I would say, you know, not surprisingly, I, I am still incredibly focused on having the right metrics and very few of them that everyone understands and, and can repeat from memory. And then constantly asking the question, is this big enough? Is this big enough to care? And I will say the bigger companies that I go to, people come to me and be like, we should do this webinar campaign for truck drivers or whatever. And I'll be like, great, like what is the total size of that segment? How many people do we think we can reach? How many people will join? And it, at a business of our scale, if the answer is less than 10,000 people, it's not worth our time. Mm. So I, I always say this, I have this line, marketers are people pleasers, and they love to do as many things as possible. <laughs> right? They'll hear right. from a salesperson like, customers are eating this up. It's awesome. Let's get it out. Hey, we've got an opportunity with so-and-so university to promote fair chance hiring. Da -da. Great. Yes, we should do that. Awesome. And then I'm the grouchy grandma who comes in and I'm like, is that worth your time? How many people are going to attend? Right. 500? Not worth it. I love so that. I just think like constantly asking return on labor and return on investment. Is it going to move the needle? Now, when you're running a startup, you don't have any other luxury beside that. So uh, that prioritization becomes super clear. <laughs> yeah. But when you get at a bigger institution where there's more people, more opportunity, more money, then you, I've just had to be like ruthless about not frittering away time. I saw, I saw a, a talk that you had in a BI marketing conference, I believe it was. Yeah. And you said something that was, uh, I mean, you said many things that I loved, but this one really stuck, which was um, it had to do with the importance when it comes to building, you know, what your competitive advantage is, what your moat is. Um, can you, can you, does that ring a bell? And can you share what, sure. like what you thought is the most important thing when you're thinking about building that moat? Well, I think this gets into the interplay of brand and performance, right? If, if you don't have the trust and the awareness in your brand, you're constantly chasing performance uh, success, right? You're going to put money in to drive money out. But if you have a brand that is known and trusted, as I said previously, your performance marketing and performance efforts will work better and you will have a buffer. And so when you have to cut budgets and things turn squirrely, that uh, moat or that 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 trust in you as a brand is what will often carry you through. I love that. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people think it's not worthwhile to invest in thought leadership or brand or other things like that. But the truth of the matter is it gets you through the ups and downs and will make your money go further that you're spending on performance. There's a lot, Airbnb has published a lot of information on this topic. If you haven't read that, I definitely 
Um, they decided to invest in brand and drastically cut their performance marketing. And now I think they have 80% organic traffic, uh, which is just bonkers high. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, and free, I mean, they've obviously spent to invest to build that, but the benefit that they will get from that over the long term is very clear. It's priceless. Uh, to quote Jessica, and this is you, you, everything you said, I just want to reiterate exactly what you just said, uh, quoting Jessica here, you build your moat through the clarity of your purpose and your brand and cutting it is at your peril. I love that. Um, but yes, exactly. Everything that you just said right there, um, I, I very much uh, agree with. And we only have uh, two questions here, and that's it. And then we, I want to, I want to give time for for Q and A. Q &A. Um, one, the other question here has to do with mistakes. Um, are there, are there? Common mistakes that you see marketers uh, make uh, that you've made, that you've learned from, uh, that that you feel, you know, what are there any that come to mind when I when I share this that you're like, okay, this, this, or this, but feel free to share. Yeah. Um, I've I've made several. Um I think getting super crisp and clear about your messaging house and the distinct competitive offering that you have being like we we, we have a thing at, at that i've used at a number of companies called song sheet it is we write down each audience segment our messaging and positioning our proof points and how we are distinctive from the competition and we publish that to everyone in the company it is required to learn it and use it so having everyone sing from the same song sheet, that's much easier in a 50 person or 150 person company, but that by the time you get to a thousand people, it's a goat rodeo. Mm -hmm. So song sheet is critical. Number two, many, many, many marketers, I have been uh, guilty of this myself, will overspend or overinvest in PR and there's really good PR and there's really useless PR. And so if you don't have super tight quality and volume metrics worked out with your PR partner, you probably are spending too much money. Hmm. Secondly, event marketing. Now event marketing is an art and a science and something that I hold very dear to my heart. Um, there are really amazing events and utterly useless events. <laughs> right. The number of smaller companies that I see trying to go to a bunch of different events and spend a lot of time and maybe a lot of money on that. I think it, uh, you, there's always the opportunity to t tune a, f a finer magnifying lens on those things and really ensure that they are giving you the return on labor and the return on investment investment and usually companies overextend in that arena. Mm, I love that. And when you do get it right, they're incredible. Oh, it can be magical. It, but but again, you've got to ask that question, is this big enough to matter? Mm -hmm. What advice would you give founders, 
extra limited resources, right? Everyone always has a, a limited resource, but extra limited resources who want to engage with their prospects. You mentioned something in one of your conversations that had to do when uh, COVID hit, you're at open table and some of the data that you had your hands on. Yeah. Can you can you share? I think it's wonderful. Okay, thank you. Yeah, that is, it is an interesting example. And I think it's super relevant to startups. So when, so you're operating under enormous, we all have resource constraints to your point, but they are particularly um, acute in, in, in your world. And I remember, I remember those days very, very deeply. <laughs> when, when you don't have a lot of money to do brand type stuff or, you know, host your own big keynote events, et cetera. I think one of the most interesting, two, two things that I always recommend what data and insights do you uniquely have that you can package and share with prospects, customers, the media, et cetera? And, and the example from OpenTable is we went to zero revenue in the period of a month during COVID, and we had to do a layoff and cut marketing budgets, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're scrambling to figure out how can we keep our business relevant? How can we support our customers? How can we support the dining industry? So we said, we have we sit on an incredible amount of data about trends in the restaurant industry. Who's going where, in what cities? What's the drop-off rate of reservations due to COVID? How is delivery and, and pickup service changing city by city, market by market? And that data is incredibly useful to the government media, it, associations of restaurants, and restaurant owners themselves. So we published all of our data externally and publicly on a, on a I, th I think we were at some points, we were updating it daily, at least weekly, city by city around the world. And that became a treasure chest for our customers and the outside world and got us a ton of earned media free coverage. So thinking about things like that. And then secondly, what can you do with partnerships? Are you doing everything you can do with academic institutions, local governments, nonprofits, um, insert, you know, think about organizations that have an installed audience base, they're well known, they're respected, and tying your brand and your activities to that other partner and brand to help leverage your message out. Uh, I think those are two cheap and uh, can be extremely effective avenues. I love that. Thank you so much for your time, for sharing your experiences, your lessons with us. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Stay strong, stay healthy. You are doing incredibly important work. You need to take care of yourselves. Mm. You yep. need to take care of your teams. Uh, I have run myself ragged, as I'm sure many of you have, and that is not the way to live, and it's not the way to succeed. Love that. Well, thank you very much, Jessica. And have a wonderful rest take of care, the buddy. day and week. Thanks, everyone over here, for joining thank us. Thank you so much, everyone. Thanks.